I had prepared uh, a, a talk three weeks ago, and it's not often I really prepare properly. And I've got it on my iPad. I've got notes, a whole load of notes. I researched it, I prepared it, I got it ready on identity and all of that. And it's there three weeks ago. And I did it to speak at um, a Naturally Supernatural conference and it didn't seem right. And then I was going to speak on it last Sunday, but I wasn't very well. And then I was going to speak on it this morning. And uh, this morning when I got up, I just felt I wasn't meant to, that there was something else. So it's the one time I've prepared a whole talk. And so what I'm going to talk on, I'm winging it, okay? So I'm saying that so that you can have mercy if it all goes all over the place. And we do stay here till Easter. Um, I've been away uh, again this weekend. On Friday night, uh, I went up to Birmingham and uh, I was invited to speak at a church in Aston, which is in the inner city, North Birmingham inner city. And it's called Anchor Point Church, and it's been going for two years. And I didn't know what I was going to, to be honest. Um, I, I kind of must have known at some stage to have said yes, but I forgot. And when I got there, I was just overwhelmed. Um, it's a church, they're part of something called, a charity called Bethel. And Bethel works with um, folk who are struggling with addictions and often homeless. And what I saw just humbled me and blew me away. Um, it's an amazing what they do there, amazing. And it's hidden. I Hardly anyone seems to know about it, and I love that about them. And in the evening meeting, there were about 200 there. And when I walked in, um, 90, over 90% 90 are folk who have been struggling with addiction, and many of whom have been on the streets. And to be honest, some of them looked like they could, well, most of them could take me, you know? And I thought, oh, some of these, they look, they, they look dangerous. And, and two-thirds, at least two-thirds were men, which is not usual in a church. At least two-thirds were men. And then they put me at the front, which is what often happens, which is very annoying because I hate the front, although I have to sit there. Um, and... Uh, and as we started worshipping, all the songs were declaring songs. You know, the battle is yours, you win the victory, uh, we are strong in you, we win the victory when we're in you, and, and all of that stuff. And after a while, it was like, if I have to sing one more of those songs, I'm going to kill someone. You know, when are we going to get to the, you know, the I love you Jesus songs? And then I looked round, and I saw all these guys singing with all their hearts and engaging with God. And I suddenly realized, if you have been battling addiction, if you have been battling a whole load of issues and you're going through the fight, you want to know, you want to declare, you want to, you want to sing the truth that he is the Lord and he fights for you and he fights with you. And in him, you have the victory. And I suddenly had to repent. And then I got up to, to speak, and I did my usual waffle. And then after that, uh, we waited on the Holy Spirit. And seriously, I just found it so moving. They were so open, and God's Spirit was resting on people all over the room. And made an invitation at one point for those who right now 
feel broken, completely broken, and struggle with having any hope for the future. And half, half came forward. I think it was about half came forward and were just, and the way they prayed for each other. And there was this row behind me um, that, you know, this row of guys, and I thought, oh my goodness, watch them because they could headbutt me from the back, you know? And at the end, when I went to sit down, they tapped me on the shoulder and they said, thank you for sharing that. That means a lot. That was just really great. We've really met the Lord. And I came away absolutely humbled because they're doing it. They're doing it. And Jesus is doing a wonderful thing. And this church has started all sorts of businesses, micro-businesses, to train folk who've never got, got managed to get any skills, uh, to get skills so that they can work. And it is, it, honestly, I'd love us to, to have a, more of a relationship with them. Uh, Bettle Charity, it stunned me. And then I went from Birmingham to Bristol, and yesterday I spent the day with a, our sister, one of our sister churches, Woody's Church, Woodlands Church in Bristol. And they're an amazing church, about 2,000 folk in the church. They've got five congregations. And, and again, just seeing the Lord meet with people and seeing the hunger and thirst for God's presence. And I, I did an afternoon thing. We did an, a lunchtime thing for the senior leaders afternoon thing for the wider leadership, about 150 of them. And in the evening, um, uh, a celebration. And in the afternoon, at the end of the worship, I got up to, to speak, and I, I couldn't speak. It was like, uh, and, and it was like, I think, Lord, you don't want me to right now. You're starting to move among us. And literally, I just said, I think the Lord's wanting to meet people and within seconds you saw the Spirit of God resting on folk and for some it was in a really significant way and David the senior pastor told me afterwards that it was some folk that have been through hell and have been through such terrible times and it was like God's moment to meet with them and, and it was so significant for them and God did it and I all to say, I think we're living in days of hope in the midst of despair. I really do. And so I want to I talk about something, like I said, this hasn't been pre-planned, but I, want, I just feel it's something that we need to look at. Some of you have heard about what's going on in Asbury um, in the States. A lot of you haven't. And... Uh, uh, there, there seems to be a move of the Spirit happening amongst the students there at this Christian college. It is a Christian college. And uh, spontaneously, they started to gather and worship the Lord and almost non-stop for a while. And, uh, and there's a, just a sense of God's presence and a sense of peace and, and some folk uh, coming to the Lord and repenting. And it's wonderful. It is wonderful. How could anyone be against that? I love it. I love it. And, and, I, and I love it that it's happening with Generation Z. You know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's your kids, your teenagers, your early 20s. We need to, we need to understand that, that their circumstances are different 
to so many previous generations for quite a long time. We've all, we were all brought up. When I was a teenager, the sense was my generation is going to have it better than my parents' generation. And it's always been we're improving. Technology, the economy, wealth is going up. It's getting better until this generation where they're told that the planet is falling apart. With global warming, there won't be enough food for everyone. There'll be whole parts of the world soon that people won't be able to live. There's wars and rumors of wars. And, and our defense secretary just this week um, said, not as a possibility, but as a, almost like a prophetic statement, we need to get our army ready because in eight years' time, I think we're likely to be in a hot war, and if not that, a cold war. Now, listen to how that sounds to today's teenagers when they hear that. Uh, then there's, um, there's all the stuff coming out of COVID that shook us. We thought we were safe from this stuff. We thought pan pandemics happened in other places, not here. Then there's inflation and the economy and how are we going to pay our bills and, and now we're running out of tomatoes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't mind that too much. But if we start running out of meat, I'm going to have a meltdown, you know? And, and all of that stuff. And this generation, that as a result of all these things, and on top of that, on top of that, you know, just a breakdown of community. The, this week, it was reported that the census result, they've just re, re, sent out another result um, 39.7% of the pop British population have, have, have never been married or lived in a civil partnership. 39.7%. And it's now just over 50% of 18 plus are single. Just over 50%. We've lost the art of family, we've lost the art of community. And so, your kids, their generation, it's a, it's a generation of, of angst, of anxiety, of despair, of depression, of a feeling, what, what's gonna happen to the, in the future? Even this week, my interns um, told me that, you know, the, the latest, oh, I won't even go there, because I don't understand it, um, no, I won't. Andy's shaking his head. But you know, there's, there's a whole load of, of stuff that's going on in, in these days. And in this context, it's very interesting that there's a move of God in this generation. Now, the danger is that we in the church, we try and market it. And we try and, oh, God, let's, you know, let, let's not go there again. I can't, I can't, I can't face that. It's, it, if it's the Lord, and I think it is, it will stand up for itself. We don't want to hype anything up. And it's not about a place. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And if we get that right, we get everything right. And, and this, there's a history uh, in, in the history of the church, whenever, whenever things have got to the lowest point in the church and in society around, that is the place where God seems to move. 
That is the time when God seems to begin to turn things around. And in order to share about this, I want to talk about a couple of moves of the Spirit uh, in the past, but here's one that is directly from Scripture. Psalm 84. Listen to what the psalmist says as I read the whole psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. That's what those students have been doing. They've been, they've been just, they've just been hanging around in God's presence. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand ending elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose way of life is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I, I read that this morning, literally this morning. I just felt I had to, just that you know how it worked. This morning I woke up, I was ready to do the other talk, and I felt I just needed to Google dwelling place. And this came up, Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. And Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you are our dwelling place. So how lovely is his dwelling place, and Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. He is, he is our dwelling place. And, and the psalmist wrote in the midst of trouble, in the midst of problems, in the midst of difficulties. And he says this, and he says, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Do you know that happens when we're desperate, when we're longing, when we're longing. He talks here, the psalmist, about as they pass through the valley of Baca. And uh, I, I tried to look, up, look it up. No one knows where the valley of Baca is. It's somewhere. It's probably changed its name. But biblically, um, when the Bible talks about valleys, 
it usually talks about difficult times. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Mountaintops are great places of victory. Valleys are the tough places. And so symbolically, that's what it means. And so we've, we've come to believe that the Lord wants to prosper everyone uh, financially all the time, uh, materially with everything. But do you know what? I'm not so sure. I have to say that. Blessed are the poor, says Jesus. Why? Not because it's good to be poor, but when we have everything we want, when everything we desire is ours, do you know what? We don't seek his face. We don't long for something better. It blinds us for a while until it's too late until we realize that everything we we wanted isn't enough. There's something more. There's something more. But But when the Lord wants to bless us, what happens is he can do that when we're in the valley. When we're in the valley, he comes to us. And that's how he's always done it in his church. That's why in the valley of Baca, we can make it a place of springs and the autumn rains also cover it with pools. And then listen to this. You know, better is one day in your courts, he says, than a thousand elsewhere. I just want, I just long for you. As the deer pants for the water, as in a dry and weary land, so my soul longs for you. I'm parched spiritually. I'm parched, I need you. He, he looks for longing. He looks for desire. He looks for those that, that what better is one day with you than a thousand anywhere else. And then he says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. What do we learn in the valley when he comes to us? He's a sun over us, over us. His sun shines on us. He gives us warmth. He's a shield. He is a shield in front of us, ahead of us, to protect us. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Where does he bestow favor and honor? In the flipping valley. He dignifies us in our brokenness. That's what I saw on Friday night in Birmingham. On Friday night in Birmingham, I came across a bunch of people who had nothing and yet they had flipping everything. I tell you, they had sweet fellowship with each other. They, they prayed for each other. They stuck together. There was a gentleness and a tenderness amongst people who knew they'd been rescued from the pit, and he'd raised them up. And then I go to places where everything is handed on a plate, And I've never seen more loneliness. And I've never seen more emptiness. And I've never seen more apathy. And I've never seen more despair. No good thing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold in the valley. He provides. He provides. And in the history of the church, we have seen this again and again and again. When we come to the place which we are now, so many churches are struggling. Uh, Somehow, I don't know how, 
but with, with numbers and everything, we, we've, we've bucked the trend. It's, it's, it's the grace of God. But so many people are struggling in our church as well as in other places. You know, there's many churches have not yet recovered from COVID and there is a longing and a desperation. There are so many leaders. I can't tell you how many church leaders I meet who are ready to quit and some who are quitting because it's just, it's just too exhausting. And in this time, do we need a revival? Do we need a move of God? And do you know what the secret is? It can be found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. In the midst of their issues, where they were in a bad place, Israel, the Lord says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's the condition and the promise. If my people who carry my name, we are Christians, we carry the name of Christ, his name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Your face, Lord, do I seek and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Just on Tuesday, we had another of our Seek the Lord nights. I loved it. And I'll be honest with you, the thing I loved the most, there were about, I can't remember, someone counted the numbers, how many, about 160? 160, 170, something like that. In our church there on Tuesday night to pray for, for and the, the best bit for me was there was a whole area that was filled with our teenagers <laughs> come to pray and worship. I don't know how many, 30, 40, something like that, teenagers worshiping. Now, it was a two-hour prayer meeting, so I think a few of them were wilting by the end, for sure. I was wilting by the end. But, but you know, when I look around, Loads of them, they were engaging with the Lord. And then we had the privilege, we just felt, we just wanted to pray for them and pray God's blessing on them. And it was a beautiful moment. And we need to pray for our teenagers. We want need to pray for our children. Even those of us that haven't got children, they're, they're all our children. You know, we need to pray for a move of God. And it's happened before. I could, I'll start to come into land with this before we break bread and Andy leads us. There are so many stories of revival in the past. We, and I just want to tell one, just one, uh, not in order to, to glory in an event, but sometimes it, it spurs us on, it encourages us. I'm going to tell a second one very quickly that Andy suggested. But first of all, in 1949, in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland, on these islands, there was the biggest island is, was the island, is the island of Lewis. Uh, people had turned from the Lord and there were a whole load of social problems. There was a, a lot of alcoholism. There was a lot of other stuff going on and, and people had left the church. There suddenly came a move of the Spirit and it happened at the end of a service one evening in a little church. There were a few people there and they finished the formal service and then 
people started to leave and there was one young man who just and just spontaneously got on his knees and started crying out and apparently it was really disorderly and the one thing that they remember him praying is Lord we need you we need you to come to our island and then he kept saying you you dare not fail us you dare not fail us and then after a while, others got on their knees as well. A bit like we're just hearing in Asbury. And then people started turning up at the church who hadn't heard anything. They just felt they should come. There was, there was one night when, when they, the minister, um, Duncan Campbell, was getting messages at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. He was saying, you need to come onto the streets. And literally, people were being woken up and they were being convicted of their sins. And they were coming out in their night clothes onto the, into their front gardens. And they were crying out to God that, that he would meet with them for mercy. And Duncan Campbell and the others were going around leading them to Jesus. And, and there was this amazing move of the Spirit that happened. What was the secret? I'll tell you the secret. They had great branding. They had modern equipment. They live streamed everywhere. They had some brilliant musicians. And there were Greeks involved. <laughs> no. I'll tell you what the secret was. Two old ladies, Peggy Smith, 84 years old and blind, and her sister Christina, 82 years old, she could hardly walk with arthritis. They loved God and they loved their island and their hearts were breaking for what was happening. And every day, the two of them, they prayed. They prayed for a move of God every day for years. They couldn't do anything else. I mean, they couldn't do street theater. They couldn't do prophetic dance. One of them couldn't see, the other couldn't walk. They couldn't stand on street corners on soapboxes and preach. So they did the only thing left. They prayed. And God answered their prayer. And he came in the power of his love. And I love this story. Duncan Campbell was the minister who was the human figurehead of the revival. He would preach everywhere. And, and, and guys, I've, I've listened. I used to listen to cassette tapes of testimonies of some of these people. And there's a few on YouTube. Uh, if you put, type in the Hebrides revival, you just hear these, these folk telling the stories. And some of the talks from Duncan Campbell still are amazing. But in the midst of this revival, Peggy Smith, the 84-year-old blind lady, she sent a message to Duncan Campbell. Could you come um, uh, to my house? I have a word from the Lord for you. He came. She said, Mr. Campbell, as I was praying, the Lord said to me to tell you that you're to go to such and such a, a village. You're to hire the hall in the village. You're to preach the gospel. And there will be 10 young men who will respond and give their lives to Christ. And he wants to use all 10 of them in a full-time evangelistic ministry. And Duncan Campbell listened to her and he thought, I can't. 
I'm in the middle of a, a series of meetings in a bigger town. We booked the place. We're in the middle. It's having an effect. Good things are happening. So he said, uh, uh, um, Miss Smith, uh, thank you for saying that to me. I can't go there at the moment. I can't go there for a while. But when I finish the meetings that I'm doing, then I will go. Peggy Smith, 84 years old and blind, she said, Mr. Campbell, I will pray for you now. <laughs> she bowed her head. This was her prayer, as Duncan Campbell remembers it. Lord God, it would appear that Mr. Campbell does not wish to obey you <laughs> at present. Have mercy on his soul. Cause him to repent of his sin and to do what you are saying. What do you think he did? He went to that village. He hired the hall. He preached the gospel. At the end, he said, we're all going to close our eyes. If anyone here wants to give their life to Christ while all eyes are closed, you go behind the curtain and I will join you in a moment. After a few moments, he went behind the curtain, standing there, quietly weeping, were 10 young men. We have no idea what God can do, but first, he sets his people praying. He sets his people seeking. He sets his people longing. And when we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. His promise is he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sins. And folks, he will heal our land. He will heal our land. And our land needs healing. For the sake of the kingdom and of the generation, your kids, we knock on the door of heaven. We give ourselves no rest and we give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem, it says in Isaiah. His kingdom is what it means in our midst. Oh Lord, do it again in our day. Do it again in our day. Last thing, and then we're gonna pray and then we're gonna break, break bread together, which is where it all comes from the cross, a little move of the Spirit, not a little move of the Spirit, but that has affected us years ago. In um, the mid-late 70s, in Southern California, uh, in a little place called Yorba Linda in Orange County, uh, there was a group of broken people. They got thrown out of the church they were in uh, because they started to experience the ministry of the Spirit. And they were broken. And what they did, they didn't know what else to do. So they met in someone's front room. And at the beginning, there was 12, 15 of them. And all they did was worship. And um, the brother of the lady whose home they were in was a guy called Carl Tuttle. And he knew three chords. So he just, he didn't know what to do. So... He just sang simple love songs to Jesus one after the other. 
and they said that they would just spend two hours just crying and singing songs to Jesus. And they were crying because they were broken. And out of that little gathering came the vineyard movement and the things that affected and impacted us and many other churches, many other churches. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna look back on stories. I don't wanna talk about Peggy Smith too much. I don't wanna talk about the Wesleys and Whitfield. I don't wanna talk about Asprey, to be honest. I don't wanna talk about the early days of the vineyard. And I could do, because I know more about it, what happened there than they do. Because I've, I know seriously, I've read everything. I've, I've examined everything. I wanna talk about, you're doing it today, Lord. You're doing it here. You're doing it among us. And we are so grateful. And I love what's happening in Asbury. What happened at your Belinda? What happened on the island of Lewis? But I don't want to tell stories about the past. Our souls long, they yearn for you. And before we break bread, we're going to pray. And I want to pray that the Lord would meet with us. And for some of us, stir up a hunger and a thirst for others of us to equip us, to empower us, to take us to a place of deeper commitment, to break the power of apathy that is all over our world, to break the power of defeatism and disillusionment. You know, in the valley is where he breaks through and he does the miracles. I think it's beginning and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I want to see addictions broken. I want to see the brokenhearted set free. I want to see a praise of Jesus and a forgiveness and a unity that comes because of him. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come.